Chapter 22 of Homecraft Rugs, Their Historical Background, Romance of Stitchery, and Method of Making by Lydia LeBaron Walker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joanne Turner. Minor Rugs in Variety Under the heading of Minor Rugs in Variety are grouped those made from peculiar mediums, such as carpet, stockings, candlewick, clothesline, paper, textile silk, etc. Those treated with pigments, whether painted, dyed, stained, or ornamented with stenciled patterns, and those which, by virtue of their excessive thriftiness, rather than any other inherent qualifications, merit notice as seen in tidbit, tufted, ravel rugs, etc. In fact, those rugs in which the medium has attained a certain prominence, which, though novel and interesting, is not sufficient to make the rugs assume a major place. The greater part of these rugs belong to the group in peculiar mediums, since it is the material and not the craft that is of import, it will be found that the rugs in every instance can be fashioned in more than one type. Therefore, in former chapters, when mediums have been noted, mention has been made of them. It is because in recent years there has been a tendency to make more minute classifications that most of these minor rugs find themselves separately featured. Some have always been in a class by themselves, as instanced in old-time carpet rugs, while others are new as well as different, such as paper rugs. Carpet rugs. Since the word carpet denotes all kinds of textile floor coverings, the term carpet rug would appear to be either a misnomer or a duplication of words, were it not for the fact that there is a particular kind of rug that bears this name. This rug sprang into prominence about 1825, though isolated carpet rugs were previously fashioned. In order to appreciate the one-time value of carpet rugs, it is necessary to realize the high place held by power loom floor coverings during the period of their early manufacture. So accustomed have we become to finely made carpets today that it comes with something of a surprise to know that it was not until a hundred years ago that they became a common commodity in home furnishings in America. The first carpet factory in the United States was set up in 1791. It took 50 years to bring the production to the place where it could meet in any adequate way the ever-increasing demand, putting the date forward to 1841. Prior to 1800, these power loom carpets, except those made on the first looms, were imported to America. They were costly and scarce. It is worthy of note in passing that today America is second to no country in the manufacture of power loom carpets and rugs. It will be seen that in the early American days, carpets naturally were prized possessions of householders. Every scrap of such floor covering was put to good use in carpet rugs, covers for hassocks and footstools, etc., Carpet bags remain historic in travelers' accoutrements of those times. But among all the uses to which odds and ends of carpet were put, that of carpet rugs is the one of immediate concern. 
It was when carpets were so worn as to be unsightly that they began to be cut down into rug sizes. Finally, when only small lengths were usable, handicraft was resorted to in order to increase the size and make them big enough and sufficiently ornamental to be worthy of use. The small pieces were bordered by many rows of rug braid or of knit or crocheted strips. Today, these rugs do not hold any high place as floor coverings, but in the past they were rugs of prestige, denoting opulence in the homes where such carpets could be afforded. Gradually, the time came when carpet centers were sought because they decreased the work required to make a rug, and it is for this same reason that today they are liked by busy homemakers. Another type of carpet rug was popular in the middle of the 19th century. It was made from ingrain carpet in single, two, or three-ply weights. It was cut into narrow lengths, the edges of which formed the surface of pile fashioned from the strips. This type of carpet rug is recommended for modern use, as such rugs are durable, soft to the tread, and have an indefinite neutral color minus pattern. These characteristics make them fit in well with present decorative schemes. The rugs can be doormat or carpet size. In general appearance, they are not unlike the rugs of Smyrna type that are reconstructed by factory processes from old carpets and rugs sent to be transformed into such floor coverings. The home craft rugs are made by cutting diagonal strips one inch or one and one quarter inches wide from the strong parts of smooth-faced carpets or rugs. The strips are sewed through the lengthwise center onto ticking or some equally strong foundation fabric. Ticking has its characteristic value in the color stripes of the weave which can be taken advantage of as gauges when sewing. Turn raw edges of the foundation over once onto the right side of the textile. Commence fashioning the rug by sewing a row of the bias carpet around the entire edge. Strips should not overlap when joined, but one end should fit against another as if one piece. Each successive strip is sewed so close to the preceding one that all carpet edges are held upright by pressure. The thickness of the carpet determines the closeness. The upright bias edges fray slightly, just enough to supply a soft appearance to the stout pile. Since this deep pile is unpatterned, there should be a border of contrasting color extending all about the edge, though it may be at each end only. It may be that the pieces from a second carpet or rug can supply such differing tone to the rug field, or it may be necessary to resort to the dye pot. If so, cut the strips before dyeing. They can be handled easier. These pile rugs are the best of the handicraft carpet rugs. They do not emphasize the fact that they are made to utilize old floor coverings, for in them, thrift appears in its virtuous aspect. The name carpet rug has become commercialized in those lengths of carpet, chiefly samples, that are sold with or without fringe 
for the purpose of handy scatter rugs. These are decidedly commonplace in any but plain carpet lengths, as they immediately bespeak their origin because patterns are interrupted and incomplete. However, the homecraft rug maker can follow this commercial suggestion and in the same way use length from carpets she has. It is quite possible for her to cut down and remodel a large carpet or rug and get a good-sized floor covering therefrom, especially if no attention is paid to matching the pattern. Such a rug should be sent to a dye house and be dyed a flat color. It then takes its place with new rugs of this type, providing the pile is good, the remodeling skillful, and the color suitable for the room in which it is to be used. Such a rug should have the edges so bound that the binding will not show when it comes from the dye pot. A favorite old use for worn carpets was to ravel them out and use the yarn so obtained for making rugs. Since such yarns were spun expressly for floor covering manufacture, they were, and are, eminently suited to rug craft. They have a quality that resists wear of boots and shoes. They can be used in the making of any yarn rugs. If the color is not right, the dye pot can change it. Such salvage of old carpet mediums remains excellent today. No hint of economy is visible, as the yarn is used exactly as if new. Stocking rugs. Because amateur rug makers have used the term so frequently, the inelegant name of stocking rug is fastening itself upon floor coverings made from old and new hosiery. It is not a name used by expert rug makers, although they recognize the medium as excellent. These rugs belong by right to the rag rug group, stockings being cut into strips and used exactly as rag strands. There is an excess of thriftiness needlessly proclaimed when they are called stocking rugs. The reason why stockings, also jersey cloth and other knitwoven textiles, are especially good for rugs is that after the strands have been cut, they coil, making a twisted medium resembling rug yarn. The coils are coarse or fine according to the width of the strands. They will always curl over the right side, presenting the wrong as the outside. It is a mistake to attempt to reverse this natural order, for it is practically impossible. And fortunately for rug craft, the wrong side of the weave is as good, if not better. In cutting stockings, start the strand at the toe and cut in a circular spiral to the top. One continuous length will result. Allowance must be made for the differences of weight in the weave. Hence, the strand should be cut wider where the stocking is sheer and narrower where it is heavy. Uniformity of size in the finished length is essential. These strands can be employed in all rag rug work and occasionally as yarn strands in other styles of rugs. For instance, a fine stocking strand can be used for embroidering on canvas when the mesh is four holes to the inch. In whatever way the medium is used in rug craft, 
stocking rugs appeal to the thrifty because they provide a good use for old hosiery. So satisfactory is the medium, however, that rug makers often buy seconds in stockings, dyeing the white ones to suit any tones necessary to a color scheme. When it is possible to purchase this hosiery from a factory, the outlay is appreciably diminished. Candlewick rugs. The name candlewick rug has a quaint rather than a prosaic sound. Although the rugs can be made in any craft in which heavy yarn is ordinarily employed, and in most of those in which rags are the medium, the specific name should not be abandoned. The lightly twisted cord can always be obtained in white, as it is nothing more nor less than the cotton cord used for the wicks of candles. At the present time, candlewick is in the forefront of fashion for embroidering spreads and many other articles, and it is available in many colors. Should others be needed, the medium dies easily, being light to manage and absorbent. Any rug maker can dye her own supply if she so elects. If, in addition to doing this, she purchases the wick wholesale from a candle supply concern, the cost of the medium is diminished, as in the case of hosiery. It is unnecessary to give details for making candlewick rugs, as the maker can follow directions given elsewhere in any craft she selects. Needleweaving is one craft, however, that may be mentioned as lending itself especially well, since candlewick is a favorite medium for home craft needlewoven rugs. Clothesline rugs. Clothesline rugs derive their name from the use of this rope as a filler over which to crochet a finer medium. Cotton clothesline is used. It may remain white or be dyed. When colored coarse string is the medium for crochet, extra strength is supplied. The rope should be clearly visible between interstices in the work as in warp and weft crochet, in which a chain stitch is taken between each plain crochet stitch. When clothesline is used as a filler for rag crochet rugs, the rope is concealed, acting merely as additional weight for the rag strands, which should be cut rather narrow. Clothesline rugs can be decidedly attractive in appearance as well as strong. They are at home not only in kitchens and back halls, but on porches and in summer bungalows. For back halls, braided clothesline makes very durable doormats. Paper rugs. Paper has been used in rug craft, but more in an experimental than a practical way. The paper is made into a stout, soft cord. This is woven on a loom. A frame loom is adequate or it may be braided as jute. Braided paper rugs are shellacked, giving them a high luster and added durability. Woven paper rugs are more suitable for table covers, or borda carpets, as they were called in olden times, than for floor carpets. Paper has proved suited to so many purposes to which it appeared ill-adapted at first, that it may eventually become an approved material for rug craft, but if it is to meet with the favor of rug makers, its price must be low. Textile silk rugs. 
the most exquisite textile used in home craft rug making is silk, but for this very reason it is one of the least practical. It is too delicate to stand the strain of the hard usage, the textile being totally unlike the silken threads employed by Oriental rug makers in their famous silk rugs. It should be borne in mind in connection with these Eastern carpets that they are always considered works of genuine art to be used for special purposes and never to be stepped upon except with unshod or slippered feet. Homecraft rugs are in a different category, preeminently practical, albeit handsome. They must have durability under friction of hard-heeled shoes. Notwithstanding its very evident drawbacks, silk has been employed by handicraft rug makers so often that silk rugs warrant a special classification. As table carpets, they deserve merit. For Davenport mats and chair rugs, they are equally good. For wall hangings, they are in their element. Many of the rugs illustrated elsewhere conserve delightfully as silken hangings either embroidered or wrought in other crafts. It is in the realm of floor coverings that silk rugs are under a disadvantage. If a rug maker has a large amount of silk rags and finally decides to make a floor rug, she is wise to determine upon one with a pile either knit or crocheted. In these, a certain latitude in the matter of wear is permissible for even when the rags tear at the tips or wear down in occasional places, it does not spoil the rug completely. This is not so in hooked pile, where each loop, cut or uncut, is a stitchery unit in a precise pattern, more intricately developed than in the other two pile rugs given. A silk rug, when braided, crocheted, woven, knit or hooked, may grace a table, couch, or chair as a mat of beautiful texture. One such table rug in shades of green, wrought in rows from light in the center to deep green on the edge, is used in an old New England farmhouse, transformed into a summer guest house. It is the delight of visitors and the pride of the maker. The braid is approximately one-half inch wide, the rug is a yard long and oval in shape. Rugs treated with pigments. In turning to rugs ornamented with paint, stain, or dye, it will be found that the stenciled rug is chief among them. Grass rugs, old carpets, and lengths of matting can be given a new lease of life through good use of these agents. The entire surface of a faded grass rug, or one of similar character, can be treated with a weak solution of stain or be given a dye bath and then have the border retouched to its original brightness. It will emerge almost as good as new. Or it may be that the border alone needs redoing to bring its worn places into their pristine freshness. Lengths of plain straw matting can be bound at the ends and have borders stenciled or painted on them and thereby be transformed into good porch or cottage mats. Old carpets, when given baths of weak stain or dye, can continue to be good floor coverings, 
if faded colors alone are responsible for their poor appearance. While such treatment will not bring back the identical colors, it will tone and mellow the entire surface in a pleasing way. The original hue that prevails should not be radically changed or failure will result. Therefore, if gray, blue, green, mulberry, tan, etc. is the general color effect, the bath should be whichever one the specific carpet calls for. A rug or carpet must be thoroughly clean before giving it a bath in any of the agents. Mix enough solution for the entire treatment. Use a broad paintbrush and rub in the color well with it. Do not go over any surface more than once, lest an extra amount of color remain in that place and an uneven tone result. After once applying the color over the entire rug surface, it can be gone over again to deepen the whole tone, but the rug must be dry from one treatment before another is begun. If a rug remains on the floor during the process, lay many thicknesses of newspaper beneath it. The paper not only protects the floor, but absorbs any superfluous moisture that may seep through during the process. This same precaution should be exercised when a border only is dyed or stained. The use of any of these agents for restoring or ornamenting a floor covering is distinctly a matter of economy, although the results may prove entirely satisfactory. Thrifty Floor Coverings Rugs that come under this classification are those in which beauty is of such small consideration that it is an incident merely. Utility is paramount. Such charm as exists in the finished floor covering is entirely an accident. Design is utterly wanting. The hit-or-miss method is followed to its uttermost length, but notwithstanding all these undesirable elements, the actual texture of the rug may be as comfortable to the feet as when beauty is present. A bare floor that would otherwise be hard and cold can be covered protection be gained, and comfort furthered. When a homemaker is spurred on by necessity, such floor coverings are well warranted. One variety of these rugs is made of tidbits of cloth. The equipment is so simple that anyone can make it. It consists of a stout wire from 16 to 24 inches long, bent at the center forming a huge hairpin with prongs either one inch or one and one quarter inches apart. These are kept parallel by two wooden wedges. One is put in close to the bend and the other near the ends of the wire pin. Rags cut into strips to make a uniform size are wound over the frame, commencing at the bent end, continuing to the open end. When the frame is so full it can hold no more, the top wedge is removed and the frame is put under the presser foot of a sewing machine. The rags are stitched down the center nearly to the lower wedge, which is then removed for the stitching to continue. After removing the frame from the machine, the rags are cut along the line of turning over the wire. This releases them from the frame, which is ready to be used again in the same way. 
When enough of these fringed strips are made to cover a foundation rug surface of sailcloth, denim, ticking, etc., the strips are stitched in close rows to it. The upstanding tips of cloth form a durable pile surface for the floor covering. If a busy homemaker cuts and winds the rags whenever she finds cloth that can be so utilized without waiting for an accumulation of pieces and stitches them as soon as the frame is full, the rug making progresses rapidly. A rug of this sort by a bedside is welcome to step upon, especially if the rags are woolen. The cartwheel mat is an old-time thrift floor covering. Its name comes from the implement of its construction, for it actually was the cast-off tire of the family carriage or farm wagon that was used for the rug frame and over and about which the rag strands were wound, like the spokes of a wheel. These strands form the warp, about which other rag strands were interwoven as weft. The weaving began as near the center or hub as the closely overlapping spoke strands permitted and was continued with regularity over and under each spoke until the rim was reached. The rug was released from its frame by cutting the spokes, which were then turned over the weft and sewed firmly in position. When extra warp was needed to ensure a close, even weave, other strands were introduced midway between each two spokes. Without doubt, these mats are responsible for the name cartwheel rugs, now given many types of round rugs. This same style of mat is made today over round frames, which may be iron cartwheel tires, children's wooden hoops, or extra heavy wire bent to form a circle. Tiny bits of cloth can be made into rag tufts and sewed to a foundation in primitive fashion, and another style of pile rug results. Cut the pieces circular. A half dollar, a large spool end, or a big button makes an excellent pattern for units. When these rugs are constructed, regardless of pattern or color combinations, they come under the classification of thrift rugs. They can be made, however, so that beauty is not a mere incident. They are no less cheap, and the artistry instilled puts them into the group of fabric pile rugs described in Chapter 16. When ravelings from old carpets or from garments are knit, crocheted, or otherwise made into floor coverings in hit-or-miss fashion, they too come under rugs of minor significance, for they are thrifty in the extreme. Beauty is but incidental. These same agents can be used with skill, however, to produce some of the choicest of homecraft rugs. It is the artistry displayed that is the criterion of excellence. It is indeed true that mediums may be of no intrinsic value, but if properly employed, like pigments in the hands of a master painter, they become agents of beauty in the hands of the home craft rug maker. End of chapter 22.